The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The following show contains adult content. It's not our intent to offend anyone, but we want to inform you that if you are a child under the age of 18 or get offended easily, this next show may not be for you. The content, opinions, and subject matter of these shows are solely the choice of your show hosts and their guests, and not those of the Entertainment Network or any affiliated stations. Any comments or inquiries should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for listening. Hello, hello, what's up everybody? Welcome to the Jimmy Star Show with Ryan Russell, bringing you the good times in music, fashion, pop culture, and entertainment. We have a super great show for you guys today. We have two fabulous guests. One of them is um, our first guest will be Robert Lozardo, phenomenal actor. You guys know him from everything. Our second guest is Tommy McLaughlin, and you guys will actually know him from everything, too. And Ron will be impressed because he's like worked with a lot of people that Ron knows uh, over the past. So it's going to be a great, great show for you guys today. Before we get started, um, hey, everybody in the chat room, let's say hi to our cool, outrageous man about town, Mr. Ron Russell. Winter's here. My nails split. Why is that? They catch on all my clothes and drive me crazy. Last night when I was sleeping, a toenail split and got caught in the sheets, made me nuts. So now I'm filing the goddamn things down. I look like shit anyway. I need a haircut. Me too. I need Botox. I don't need that. I need Botox. I'm going to get Botox. <laughs> I'm thinking about it, folks, because when I smile, I will this crap. I think the Botox can get rid of it. I gotta look good for Christmas, you know. Uh, Christmas is a time that we all, for some reason, want to look good. We, oh, look at this thing; it's split. Okay, it's well, like we a, don't do like that a, now. No, anyway. but it's like a hook. So anyway, you guys, it's on my sweater. So anyway, um, good show today. I love, love, love my buddy from Brooklyn, who you'll hear all about. He's great. My 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 Italian buddy from Brooklyn. It's going to be fun. We have lots of people joining us in the channel. Let's say hi. Dave Hughes just joined us. Makel, BJ Producer. Makel, BJ Producer has been helping make those beautiful graphics that we've been using to promote the show, so we want to thank him. We also want to thank B. Claudia, but I don't yes, know if she's here but yet. I just wrote on Facebook this morning, please do not split my name when you make a post, because I'm superstitious. In show business, when you split a person's name, it's bad luck. No, he doesn't split them. No, so whoever did the post. He did it. She redid it. Oh, B, I told B already once. Don't yeah, she split. redid it. No, she didn't. It's split. Go look on my page. It's Ron 
here and Russell on the bottom. Oh, we've got to keep our own Russell. And on that's the same bad thing. luck. And I don't like that at well, all. Well, there's B anyway. So B, thank B, you so B, much. B, I no, love you B. to death, but get it I don't right. Think, I don't know which one she's. Who the did one it. with Lasada, today's post. I know, but there's two people making them, so I don't know which well, one. Whoever it is. the two people are, kindly, I appreciate what you do. I honestly do. But I'm superstitious. If you split a name, not. it means you're over in the business. And I'm 83 years old. You know, I could be over. I don't in a see minute. it split. That was an old Ghetto. one you saw. That was an old one. No, it's not old, you little maricone. Don't tell me what I, what I know. I'm looking at it Don't, right now. Yeah, oh, look, I see it. Okay, yeah. you're right. Okay. It's Ron and then Russell. You never split an artist or performer or an actor or an old okay. name. You're right. All right, everybody. So, B, thank you so much for making Thank you, B. I the, love uh, it. I don't want you to think I'm an ungrateful person. B, you're the best. And make it be you're up, the best. I'm now, I'm talking. There's a lot going on. I got yeah, I'm, I'm saying something. <laughs> you don't listen. I will, I will go over it. Publicly, and we'll, I'll go over it. It's fine. All is good. I do everything um, publicly. I don't hide anything from my friend. All of you out there that view us, you know me. I say it like it is, or I don't say it at all. Anyway, thank you so much, B. You're wonderful for doing what you do. I love you for it. And Makel, too. Who? Makel VJ. Who? Makel VJ. Who the hell is that? He's the guy doing the other promos that you don't... I don't know. even know who he is. I know. Well, yes, you do. Yes, no, you I know. Do. Well, he's been making beautiful do promos for us. No, we don't know him. So how do I know? So please, let's go on with the show. I'm very confused. <laughs> don't be confused. Uh. Be your fabulous. Austin, who else is in here? I see Don Hinton has joined us. Stefan Bell is in the chat room. Um, let's see. Who else we got? Lady Lake is in the chat room. It's, it's a lot of people, you guys. We really do have a great uh, a great show for you guys. Well, we we have, thank everybody. We have some terrific shit on today. We also want to thank everybody for listening to the show on iTunes. We were number 19 on the charts, and I think we're charting in about 10 countries. Um, so thank you so much. We super appreciate everybody's like support and everything that they do in helping us build the show. You need a haircut. I do need a haircut, yes. We both need haircuts. Yes. You have this white thing on your mouth. I don't know what this is. There we go. I got the it. I got it off. What is that? What white thing on my mouth? It was like paint or something. I don't know. No. Toothpaste, maybe. No, yeah, Clipper. So we're going to get haircuts before next week, you guys, because next week is our once-a-year Christmas show. And I'm going to really look into Botox. I don't know if I should do it or not. I wish you guys out there would let me know. You know, because when you, when you smile, all this crap happens. It's all wrinkle. 82 years old. You know, you're old. You're wrinkled. So now if they shoot Botox in there, I'll be paralyzed. So I'll look like this. I think that's hilarious. And I'll be talking like this. Hello? Look, I'm laughing hysterically. Oh, my God, it's so funny. Oh, I'm laughing. Can't you see me laugh? Oh, oh, oh. That's hilarious. Well, that's what happens when you get too much Botox. You look like you had a stroke. Yeah, look, I just have all Botox put in my face. See me? I'm smiling. Look. I love it. All right. Um, I'm so. happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm going back to work. After January, we're going to be filming Dead Realm. And I'm happy because I might be playing Kevin Bacon's father. They're now in negotiation with Kevin Bacon. And if he agrees, we got it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, you guys. I'm producing it. Uh, we have a, a bunch of movies, hopefully, at the beginning of the year that we'll get to start working on, and they'll start going in pre-production to hopefully stay busy all year. So that's have, what we're hoping how, for. How long haven't I worked? Over a year. I don't know. Between COVID and the strike, 
It's been over a year. I mean, the strike was six what, months. What was the last movie I did? Clowning. Clowning. And when did we shoot Clowning? About a, over a year ago. Over a year ago. So I haven't worked in a year. Oh, let's get back to work, kiddies. Absolutely. <clears throat> huh? There's also another film I'm going to be producing, you guys, with the same people who are doing this Dream Cinema Productions. And it looks like we have Sharon Stone and Mel Gibson attached to that one. So I'm going to be producing that one. And it should be a lot of fun. Um, Don says, hey, do you have a new watch? No, it's not a new watch. It's my Christmas watch. <laughs> I wear it at Christmas time because it's red and green. Well, you know I like these little crappy novelty things. No, they're a lot of fun. I'm a novelty person. Uh, B. Claudia says she understands now. She didn't understand that B, before. B, 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 I love you. I don't want to say anything bad. But, you know, it's just you, how would you know about a, a New York theater superstition? There's two things you must never do in theater. Whistle backstage because they'll kill you. If you're, no, seriously, if you're on Broadway and you whistle backstage, they throw hammers at you. I mean, they do it. Sandbags fall from the, the rafters. And the other thing is never wish anybody good luck. Don't say, okay, good luck. Have a good show. I no. find a lot of people don't like that. I have a lot of friends. No, you can't. You have to say break a leg. These are just things that are, are old sayings. And the other one is never split a name. Like if you have, like, say, um, let's take a big name, Marilyn Monroe. If you did Marilyn here and Monroe down there, she would have a nervous breakdown. And, and believe me, that's easy for Marilyn to do. But um, it's just crazy stuff that we do in show business. But we believe it. And I'm very superstitious because I believe that signals we send out happen if you send out negativity you will be negative and people will not like you and you have to always be positive in everything you do and be certain that you're positive because positivity works negativity no way those people that are negative they go they wind up in the shit can we want to say hi stefan is also in there hi so. stefan how's your beautiful wife you're lucky you got her there we go. So real quick, you guys, we want to tell everybody, thank you, first of all, again, for listening to the show. We want to keep going up in the rankings. You can listen to the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, TuneIn, Pandora, and Amazon Prime. Um, and I think our guest is already here, so we can bring him on a little early. Ready? Good. All right. Let's bring him in, Juan. Hello. Say something. Let's make sure we can hear you. He's not saying anything. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Don't be a bull. Just messing with you. Don't be a bull. <laughs> Don't be a bull buster, or I'll make a phone call to Brooklyn, and you'll be in the next bridge they build. When they poured the concrete, they'll pour you in with the concrete. So don't fuck with me, fella. <laughs> What are you doing? What are you doing, Bobby? Don't call him Bobby. I call him Bobby because he's from Brooklyn. He's Italian. I'm from Brooklyn. I'm Italian. And I'm allowed. Right, Robert? Bobby? <laughs> See, he said here. <laughs> he said here. All right, everybody. Now we want to welcome to the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell, the incredibly talented superstar born in Brooklyn, New York, Robert Lasardo. Yay! Yay. <laughs> welcome to the show. We're super excited to have you. I'm very Thank excited. You for having you. I know it's going to be fun, and I love your Christmas tree in the background. It's beautiful. It you seems know, fitting. Yes. Everybody's so afraid of you. 
because you look so mean. Oh, shut up, shut up, dog. Astro, shut up. Uh, you look so mean and ornery. And you know what? In person, you're 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 sweet as bread. You're the nicest guy in the world, the less the least fierce, fierce or scary. How, I appreciate the compliment, Ron. No, but how do you feel about that? People shitting their pants when they meet you. Uh, I don't really think about it too much. I just. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're terrible. I mean, I see you in the movies, and you're great at what you do because Thank you rock that camera. I mean, you really are an evil-looking guy and mean and fierce. Well, you play as an evil-looking. I know. Well, I'm. Well, are you going to correct me on what I say all day? Is this going to be a fucking correct, correct Ron Russell show? Let's correct Ron's show, okay? Fuck it all, right? Let's c- correct Ron. You know, hey, 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 Ron, I just what? want to know, when are you scheduling your Botox uh, appointment? What about my Botox? Should I get Botox? I don't know. I think uh, I think you look I, I, Honestly, I would contest that because I think you look great. Yeah, but you uh, saw me in person. You saw yeah, the great more, more the reason why I would suggest against it. I don't think he should get it either. I don't think he needs it. My daughter's told me I need it, the little bitches. I <laughs> said, <laughs> Daddy, you have wrinkles. Get Botox. I don't know. I think it's indicative of character that you have wrinkles. It shows the kind of life you've lived. <laughs> so, but Robert, may I call you Bobby? Because I feel like... Yeah, I'm, whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm Ronnie. I'm not Ron. I'm Ronnie. Okay. Listen, where are you from in Brooklyn? I know, but let everybody know. Uh, I was born in Coney Island Hospital. And then, um, oh, let's see, it's, it's so long ago, hard to remember, because I left when I was 18. But I I know that I live in, is it called Flatbush? Flatbush. I lived in Flatbush. I lived in yeah. the Red Projects. In right, Red right. So we lived, I moved around a lot. So I, there's a couple of spots, I think, that we landed in Brooklyn. One was Flatbush. The other was uh, Fort Green near Brooklyn Tech. Mm-hmm. You know that area? Sure. Downtown Brooklyn? Okay. And then, yeah, I found myself where you, Red Hook, South Brooklyn, where, where you, where you, where you, where you're from, right? Red Hook, Columbia where Street. You, you and I were, when you and I were speaking that day at the premiere, you mentioned that you, I was born Colum- in Columbia Street. Columbia Street was the street well, that you mentioned. I was born right? at 40, 40, 40, 40, 40 or 4002 Columbia Street in sure. the Red Hook Projects in 1940. Yeah. They were brand new projects. And my parents were so happy because we had hot water and steam heat. We hadn't had that before that because it was a war going on. So you couldn't get coal to heat the house. So a lot of places we lived, there was no heat. And I grew up in cold water flats, wow. which were not happy times. So we moved to the projects and we had uh, three bedrooms in the top floor. And my mother thought that she was the richest broad in the world. Because look, we got steam heat and hot water, shower. It was a big deal. Yeah. It's were important to appreciate the blessing. People you forget. Were you poor? Uh, <laughs> we were rich. We were rich. We were rich in our spirit and we were very creative in the way that we lived because we had no money. But did we you have in, I I lived we lived let me finish. We lived in a van. We lived in a, a, a Volkswagen bus and traveled around upstate New York for a while. So we were basically displaced people, so like you, hippies, basically. You, so, you, um, had, you had hot water. 
No, if you lived in a van. No, I, I remember up in Croton Harmon when we were living at a campsite that I used to have to carry the dishes to a spigot, a water spigot, and it wasn't there wasn't any hot water. It was cold water. I washed the dishes, and I I slept in a tent. I slept in a tent. You're a lot younger than I am. So you were not a war kid. I was second world kid, second world war kid. And we didn't have really anything in this country. We sacrificed gasoline, rubber on our tires. You couldn't buy a car. We had food rationing. I remember when we moved to, out of Brooklyn, we moved to Astoria. My grandmother right away put a garden in the backyard where she grew some, we had two chickens. I mean, yeah, we lived like the, the Beverly Hillbillies, like that TV yeah. show. And Hollywood would communicate it with a, a romantic flair in a movie called The Best Years of Our Lives, which depicts men returning right. from the war and how they have to adjust to civilian right. life. Do you remember this film with Dana Andrews, Myrna yes. Loy, Teresa Wright? You know, The Best Years of Our, best years of our Lives. Great film. We watched Turner Classic movies probably like four nights a week, you know, watching mm. all... And, Ron's seen all of them anyway, but like everyone's well, you know in a while, he hasn't seen And when we watched them, I tell stories to Jimmy about the actors because I knew them all. You know, uh, growing up, uh, we moved from, my mother was an actress and she just wanted to pursue her career. And my father was an old-fashioned guinea from Italy. And he said, no, 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 son tutti putane. No, 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 you can't be a movie star because you're going to be a whore. That's what my father thought. So... We then moved back to uh, New York, but my early years were in, um, we lived in Poinsettia in Hollywood. What am I talking about? I don't anyway, know. I don't know, but I want to say. Well, I, I, was, I was going to mention that it speaks to your taste that you watch, what did you say, four times a week, Jimmy, that you yeah, watch probably, classic films? Almost every night, if we can't find something that we like, we go on Tubi and find an old movie, or we go on YouTube and find an old movie. Um, I had never seen any of those black and white movies until I met Ron. Now, like we've been together, you know, a long time. So now I've seen everything. But, but we now I've never I never watched any of them because it really wasn't my thing. Now I love them. You know, I, I love that I love that you allowed him to influence you that way and find and discover the golden age of Hollywood. And there's something there's a reason they call it the golden age of Hollywood. Oh yes, I love uh, a letter to three wives, North by Northwest. Oh, and there's, um, I don't know, there's, there's like five or six of them that I like really like a lot. And we have Christmas ones that we watch all the time. Oh, my, oh. Actually, my, yes. My, yes. my greatest thrill was being Jane Russell's best friend for lots of years. And wow. Jane was in my house and we were laying on the sofa together watching Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Oh. <laughs> and I kept saying to her, so what happened now? She said, oh, Marilyn did this. Or, you know, she was telling me the inside dirt. And then sure. we went to Cinema Paradiso in Florida. They gave her an award. And Jane and I sat next to each other watching that movie again. And she held my hand throughout the whole movie. But every time she came on, she squeezed my hand a little bit. And I asked, <laughs> no, I asked her, I said, Jane, why'd you do that? She said, oh, 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 because I didn't like that. I didn't like what I did or whatever. Mm -hmm. so she was critical of her work even 50 years after the film was out. Yeah. How about you? That leads me into segueing to you. Do you cringe when you do a performance that you hate? Or are you happy with all your work? Um, there's a couple of things I consider when I'm viewing, you know, my work. That it's not my work. It's something that somebody else wrote and that I have no control over in terms of the way it's edited and, and basically 
hemmed together. So I'm very forgiving in terms of what I watch. And I also sometimes don't remember what I was doing because I tend to get lost in the character. So when I watch it, I'm kind of stunned. And I go, oh, that's what I did. That's what happened. So in a way, it's, it's, it's exciting to discover what that guy on the screen is doing because I don't always associate myself with this guy, with the guy I see on the screen. I understand that because that happens to me. I call it when I go in my coma. You know, <laughs> I, go, I go into a coma. I really swear to you, I do. I believe it. <laughs> I, I can I can relate. <laughs> Sometimes I don't, my lines are over and I'm still going. I'm creating new lines. Yeah. Hey, Ron, I really re I respect that, Ron. That's dedication, man. So I have some questions. No, I do, don't you have a go? I believe I, I believe you. I go, I go so deep. Someone has to tap me on the shoulder and say, Robert, you know, hello, come back to earth, you know, <laughs> be nice. <laughs> I, can't, yeah. I think you and I are trained. <laughs> we're, we're sort of, I don't know, how old are you anyway? You want to tell? I'm, six, I'm 60. Oh, you're, so you're no chicken either. All right. <laughs> you're, you're 60. You don't look 60, Wait, no, no, Italians don't age. Italians don't age. We never lose our hard-ons and we never age, right? <laughs> no, it's true. My father died 80 years old, and he said he could break walnuts with it. <laughs> All right? So we never age. By the way, nothing's pretty much off limits. <laughs> Seriously. I forgot what I was saying. Um, Italians don't age. Italian, but before that. Uh, any, I don't know. Something. I was throwing something at Bobby. I forgot what I was telling That's you. okay, because I'm going to do now. Go, you go. Okay, so, so first of all, so you basically it came on my radar. So I was a huge fan of Nip Tuck. And Thank you. One, one of the best shows on TV, like you know that 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 was one of the top shows for a long time. And I lived in Miami, um, so I was like, used oh. to it. when you were like on Nip Tuck, and you were such a badass. Um, I was always since I saw you on Nip Tuck, and you fed somebody to the alligators. I was just like, yeah, that dude's fucking scary. <laughs> and so you portray scary very well because you're such a nice guy, and nobody would like have any idea. You know that you watch classic movies and that you're classically trained, because um, then you went to school, you know, to become an actor, right? I want to pay. I want to pay. Yes, him. sir. Yes, answer. sir. I did. I yeah. Wanna, I want to pay you a great compliment. I've seen a lot of your movies, and some of them stink. But you really, <laughs> no, you really made me enjoy the movie. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass either. If you weren't in that movie, I would have walked out. Which movie? You know, it's interesting that you say that, Ron, because I remember you and I. Spoke after the Bloodthirst premiere, you said pretty much the same thing you just said now to me. So I appreciate I the compliment. I enjoyed you and, and a few other people in it. But as far as the movie went, it was not for me. It was just written for sensationalism. And then suddenly you come on and I say, now the movie is good because we have an actor. We have a person who is delivering something, not just chopping somebody up for sensationalism. So thank you very much for saving some of the shitty movies they make. I appreciate that, Rob. Thank I'm being honest you. because you know it as well as I do. You're good. You're, you're it, intense. You're very intense. When you come you, on the screen, what, nobody. I'm sorry. What? When you come on the screen, nobody in the theater speaks. No, seriously, you grab them right by the balls and hold them there. You're very intense. <clears throat> so let's let's brag a little for you. Well, okay. Before we go there, what made you think that you could do this? Um, wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't me. 
Um, it, it was an it was a, a teacher of mine who became a surrogate father to me. His name was is Anthony Apeson. Um, I met him at the High School for Performing Arts in New York City when I was studying and doing theater work there. He took a liking and an affection to me, and uh, he was very kind in his observations. And I wasn't used to that. You going up in Brooklyn in the life that you lived, I'm sure you probably weren't. Of uh, you probably can relate to that. So it was unusual to have someone who could objectively observe me and say to me things uh, in in regards to talent and ability and foreshadowing things to come that I couldn't conceive of, so much so that I ran into the military for four years to kind of run away from the calling to be what he perceived a, a very effective and talented, make a talented, you know, a talented performer that could make a contribution. I didn't see that. But I did eventually. I, I kept in touch with him while I was in the military. When I was discharged, I went back to New York. I started studying with him privately. I went to the actor's studio, went to the Stiller Adler Conservatory. And so I reacquainted myself with the craft and with the, the uh, sentiment and the encouragement of Anthony Abeson. I realized that he wasn't making it up, that it was actually something that lived within this guy that I could... Um, bring to bear on stage and at auditions that would affect people and potentially make a living doing it. Okay, you're going to tell me that you never did it in the mirror. Did what in the mirror? I've done things in the mirror, Ron. Your, <laughs> no, your, your lines, your lines, you know. Listen. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the mirror. Uh, to, to, to me, it's, it's kind of like the story of narcissists. You know, the narcissist, everybody like looking down at the pond at their reflection. The teachers of all the teachers that I studied with that were like drill instructors always emphasized not painting self portraits to avoid the mirror so that you could go within yourself to develop the interior of a character that's very much different than how you manifest in day to day experience. See, so the I, mirror, is a, the mirror is a problem. You have to break the mirror no, and the mirror, go beyond, go beyond the mirror to the mirror. substantiate and build foundation for character development that has nothing to do with what's appearing in the visual aesthetic. You've got to transcend the visual aspect of yourself. You've got to go beyond. It's not a problem, and I'll tell you why. I'm in an upcoming movie where I'm going to suggest to the director that I cry when I find out my son has been killed. So I went in the mirror and tried crying. I learned one thing, not to cry the way I thought I would cry because I looked like I was having a diarrhea attack. <laughs> So I was squinting and it was horrible. So I kept looking in the mirror saying, let's try it this way, Ron. Let's try it that way. And finally, I got it the way I didn't look like I was getting it up the ass either, in pain. So, you know, I, I do find the mirror to be very uh, helpful. Yeah. You know, can I speak to that? Let me speak to that. I think technique varies from person to person. So I think another thing that my teacher said to me, no recipe. You know, that's why I think different schools of thought, different drama schools, a very hard line with their fundamentals about their method, right? And I think it's probably maybe a wiser choice to borrow and take different elements from the fundamentals and kind of make your own stew. And so if it, that works for you, I'd say rock on. You can't really tell somebody their process. They discover their process independently after researching all the different schools of thought. You come away with something that's, you know, uniquely yours. Jane Russell and Terry Moore both told me 
that Marilyn Monroe, before she went before the camera, looked in the mirror and kept saying, I'm Marilyn Monroe, I'm Marilyn Monroe, I'm Marilyn Monroe, over and over again until she became Marilyn Monroe. <clears throat> so Joan Crawford did the same thing. Mr. Blackwell told me that, that Joan Crawford, before she would go see people, I'm Joan Crawford. So I guess the mirror, it's not an artistic thing. It's kind of like we're going to see what's on film before we shoot it. I feel that way about it. I'm not narcissistic. Yeah, well. It makes sense. What you say makes sense, I'm sure, to you. Yeah. Well, so you do it without. So you have a, another talent. I, 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 don't, I don't really think about it that much. I just know a couple of things, Ron, is that I read the material. I get lost in the imagination of the writer, and, the, and, and my own imagination kind of gets in the driver's seat and takes me places, man. And then this guy disappears within the framework of the, the, the screenplay, the story, and it just happens. Well, are you a method actor? I don't like labels. I wouldn't say I'm a method actor. I would just say that I found certain uh, advantages to utilizing the method, but I've also found advantages to doing it a different way. So I borrow from different schools of thought, like I just said. I think it's dangerous when you get locked into one way. I think it's important to stay open to learn different methods. People ask me that question, and I say, I'm a realist. That's all right. I'm a realist actor. If I cannot become the character, I won't do the part. I have to totally become that character and feel it. I have to, I mean, maybe I'm a schizo, schizophrenic. I, I think you're, no, I think that speaks to your dedication because if you believe it and have a, tr a, a real experience, I think the audience will have that experience with you. They can tell if you're lying. Right. But if you're not lying to yourself or the character, the audience will feel what you're feeling. Isn't that the goal, ultimately? Absolutely. Now, how do you feel about working? Now, this is a, a pet peeve of mine. How do you feel about working with an actor who has never worked before and gave the production money to be in the film? Well, it depends on the actor. Um, that model, I can't really speak to because that's a producer uh, thing. But I would say as a performer and dedication, you know, I, I can tell both of you are very dedicated uh, connoisseurs and participants of the art form itself. So I think if the person who's standing before me takes it serious, does the homework, reads the script, and is prepared, no problem. But if they show up with, uh, with not prepared and they just kind of stumble through that process, it can slow things down and you kind of get the feeling that they don't respect something that I think you, Ron, and Jimmy, myself, find sacred. And in that sense, they're committing, you know, so there's, it's sacrilegious. They're committing an offense against the production man. So I, I get upset sometimes. But what can you do? I mean, it's beyond my pay grade. What am I going to do? Run to the producer and say, listen, get rid of this person because you're not taking it serious? They'll tell me to shut up, man. You know, yeah. you, I, and you have to be careful how you communicate your passion. I mean, clearly, Ron, you and I and Jimmy, we can communicate this here and within the context of the show. But once you're in that workspace there's a whole po political play that's happening yes. that if you infringe upon man i've done that you get into a lot of trouble i've been put in time out ron because of my what you perceive as being this intense very um uh passionate i guess uh, a person and when it comes to the art form that i've been perceived as a bully because of it because i'm very specific about how i feel other people's commitment should be but does that make me 
a bully? Does that make me arrogant? Who am I to decide whether or not someone is doing it right or not? Isn't that the director's job or the producer's yes. job? I mean, it's, it's a struggle for me is what I'm trying to tell you, Ron. It's hard for me well, because I recognize what you're saying. It's very difficult to play off of somebody who's not there, man. What do you do? What, you look, you, you, what do you do? What happened yeah. to me years ago in the film was one of those Everybody that got in the film paid to get in. Nobody was a professional actor. And I played a nasty cop from New York who went to Pittsburgh to push people around. And my performance was very, very intense. Like, don't tell me your brother didn't do it. You did it. You're the murderer. <laughs> and I'm very intense and very Brooklyn. And you know what he said to me as he stood up? Oh, you're a bastard. And I look like I was overacting. That whole scene is ruined because I was the character and he was flat as a board and so without emotion. So I look yeah. like show off. I look like I was grandstanding. And that's wow. what I like about not. I would like to work with you. I give you a run for your money. <laughs> I, I, yeah. it's, important. It's, it's important to work opposite people, oh, performers sorry. like yourself, because yeah. they keep you they keep you in shape. Like if you get in the ring and you're sparring with somebody. And they, they, like you said, they give you a run for your money, so to speak. It's very important to stay in shape that way. Um, you, also, you also raise another point. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you raise another point that just had a light bulb moment because I was just thinking about this the other day, how when you play opposite someone, it's kind of like a dance. It takes two to tango, right? If the yeah. person doesn't know how to dance correctly, and they're stepping all over the tip of your toes, no matter how well you lead them, Ron, as you said in the scene, it falls flat. It looks terrible. So yeah. it's not enough for you to bring your commitment and your ability if the person you're playing opposite doesn't know how to dance in the scene correctly with you, man. It's a train wreck, right? Like you've just pointed out. So I recently experienced that. And I thought, well, I'm good enough in my commitment to this that maybe it'll appear better. But what the editor has to do is cut around the reactions of the person that's clearly not present in that scene. It always looks like shit. Yeah, it's tough. You raise a very valid point, man. I've experienced that. There's one, one thing. No, I lost it. See, I'm getting old. I'm losing things. Um, oh, oh hey, you didn't lose your hey, Ron. You didn't lose your hair, man. So be grateful you still got that stuff. Stop <laughs> it. You keep saying you're losing. You ain't losing shit, man. You got your hair. Be grateful. We're getting, we're getting haircuts this week, so <laughs> okay, okay. Auditioning. See, they don't audition anymore, and that's what I resent. I, I want. I like. I'm going to ask you the next question. I, I love rehearsal, and I like people to audition. I tell that to directors. Has this person auditioned that I'm doing the scene with? Oh, no. He came in. He's $15,000. Well, I don't want to do the movie because he didn't audition for the part. So I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, yeah. what Kevin Bacon now is going to be a thrill for me because I'm going to, he's going to give me energy. He's going to give me everything. Well, yeah, he's a terrific actor. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, working with you, uh, I, I think we are in a movie. To, am I supposed to say that? No. I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> I like how Jimmy goes, no. <laughs> no, I'm not supposed Bobby. I don't believe in like talking about movies yeah. until they're free. <laughs> Jimmy goes, no. <laughs> Hey, Bobby, I'm not. You know, people, I don't explain. I believe that, you know, people, not everybody likes anybody, and I think people have the horns, so I don't like to give out too much information no, until things are done. Because I don't want people wishing me bad. Well, let, let me rephrase that. 
if ever I get the opportunity to work with Bobby, it's going to be explosive. I would love to play either the detective in that movie or the gangster in that movie opposite him <clears throat> because we will have a blast. We will get right. Academy Awards. Now it's today. my turn to talk. And yes. you have to, like, I have like at least five questions. Good. Go okay. On. All right. First, I want to brag a little bit. Uh, no, first, okay. First thing, first thing is like in the chat room, um, all, everybody wants to know how tall you are, and they're all like debating back and forth, like how tall you are. Even though I've given them a picture, so how how tall are you? He's about nine inches. <laughs> <laughs> well, my feet touch the ground. Let's start with that. Uh, the second thing, uh, with my shoes on, I'd say uh, on a good day, if I stand upright, maybe five nine with my with my shoes on, with some nice yeah, boots on. Five nine. So then uh, we have a chat room full of people. Just say hey to everybody in the chat room because they're all like commenting about everything so just say hey chat room or something like that hey chat room there happy holidays happy hanukkah happy kwanzaa happy whatever makes your boat float man just have a good time and have some eggnog and some uh what is it pumpkin pie and hang up uh, one of those little mistletoes and just go to town yeah. enjoy <laughs> right why not so my first question uh because you have such a great history and, and i love the fact that like you haven't been you're not really you're pigeonholed to play the bad guy, like uh, a lot of the time, but you haven't been pigeonholed. Whereas you're only doing horror, or you're only doing drama. You do everything. So my first question is, and Ron's never seen this movie, um, but but how how was it working with Ian McShane and Jason Statham in Death Race? Because that's such a great movie. And Joan Allen's in it. You never saw Death Race. We've I've never seen, seen it. every Jason. Movie. You haven't seen this one. Uh, you haven't seen. I, I, know know that haven't way, seen I love Jason. Tyrese Gibson, Jason Clark. So number one, how was it working on the movie? And number two, how was Jason Statham? Because that's his like favorite action. Hero. Oh, I love him. I think he's the best actor out there. The crazy fuck that he is. Um, I felt almost like guilty taking the money to do that because that was. I didn't feel like that was a job. That was just an amusement park, a thrill ride. They strapped. <laughs> no, they strapped. They did. They strapped us into these. These, these, you know, these um, cars and flip the cars upside down. I felt like I was back in Coney Island, Ron, going on a, a cyclone or something. It was great. I had a great time making that film. In the bumper cars. <laughs> yeah, like bumper cars. It was fun. I had a good time. Jason was a gentleman, very nice man. I said hello to him. We spoke briefly. He was very nice. Ian McShane, also very, uh, very sweet man, very kind, polite. Uh, I didn't get any sense that anybody was taken too much with their own life. It seemed kind of like a you know, just a gritty, just, it's like what you see in the film. You know, everybody was just kind Did of you have lines with Jason? You know, down to earth and cool. What? Did you have lines with Jason? I didn't have any. No, I had, I had scenes with Jason on the, uh, during the car sequences, you know, but we didn't have any actual interaction outside the car, inside the prison. Well, he never has lines anyway, very rarely. So Death Race is basically about a prison, and they try to if you if you're a driver, I, I you get that. out of it. No, you didn't. You might have seen the old one. You didn't see the Jason thing. I know we haven't seen it because I see everything. That well, I'll see it. We're going to see it tonight now. Of course, I'll see it. Okay, so then my next question is: uh, Yeah, uh, uh, how was it work? So the Mule, one of the biggest movies ever. You worked with Clint Eastwood. Oh, I you love had a that great movie. role. Love um, that. How was yes. it? How was it working in in that? Because that's like such a high profile movie, along with you know Death Race. And you were such a films. rat. How how was that? You were a rat, a real rat. I'll tell you. Um, prior to getting the job, it was inconceivable that I would ever stand opposite Clint Eastwood 
I never imagined in my wildest dreams, not only that I would be in a Clint Eastwood film directed by him, but also standing opposite the man. Well, you, so, you, you commanded those scenes, my friend. Well, can I say something to you, Ron, about that? You know what I found about about found out about Clint Eastwood was that he's very um very just low key and very uh, you know some some celebrities, some movie stars you work with them, they they're very specific about how they want the sequence to go because the concern is how will they look ultimately because it's about them, right? I didn't get that sense of place, but what I found with him is he's a collaborator. He likes for you to improv. He likes for you to take risks. He's open to you playing jazz with him in the scene because during some of our sequences together, him and I, I just decided to improv, go off the page. And he went with me. He didn't stop the scene. He didn't take me aside and counsel me about anything. He thought it was great that I lived so much in the moment with him and was committed to those moments that he knew how to play off me. And it was beautiful. And they kept it in the, in the movie. They didn't like cut it out. They used a lot of it. You know, so, so Give yourself the credit. I know you don't like to do that because I don't get your narcissistic. But if you didn't give to that scene, you would have been pulled out to the side. You would have been definitely pulled to the side. And Clint would have said to you, listen, can you do this? But obviously you did everything he liked because you know the shit you're doing. Well, Ron, you know, it's it's interesting you bring that up because something kind of did happen. Not like that, but. What I realized when I got to set that it was ambiguous, meaning that there were three of us in the garage, but the production, even Clint, wasn't sure in terms of placement who was running that garage, who was in charge. So I realized that. And so I basically grabbed the bull by the horns and kind of fought for my position in the way that I communicated that character to, 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 to Earl. And they saw that. And the next day, Clint, the production said, Robert, listen, we realized something. You're definitely running this garage. We can tell by your persona, the way you engage Clint. Everything you're doing speaks to that you're in charge. But prior to that, the jury was still out. They had made a decision who was running things, who was the more dominant guy in that sequence. I had a fight for that. I really liked that movie tremendously. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. And my opinion of you is you were such a rat. You were so rotten. I wanted to spit in your face. You really, no, you really Which is did. good. That shows how- what, what, let me ask you something, Ron. What constitutes what you, constitutes rat? What did I do specifically? You know, you know where you would where you would call the character. Well, the most, I, I you were the most that. corrupt, murderous, low life, <laughs> the shit I ever saw. I think you. I think you get. I, I'm going to tell you something because you know we're very candid here. Clearly in this interview, I think you get off on that. I think you enjoy watching me do that. <laughs> I do. Okay. You're very good at it. I hate, to, I hate to compliment my stars because they think I'm full of shit. I'm saying it just to get on. You? You full of shit? Yeah, but, you don't compliment anybody. Bobby, Bobby, if you're yeah. in a movie and Jimmy tells me Robert Lazaro is in a movie, I will be happy to see it because you really get me going. You could be the most evil, heartless, murderous piece of shit on earth. And I love you for it because there were only in my day, the only people that could do that well would be, let's see who I could compare you to that played a rat good, always a rat. I don't know, but I want to go. go, go. I'll, All think right, about, so I'll think about Ron's it. Ron's not going to like this question. I'm just bringing it up because I'm a huge, so Ron is not a big horror fan, but I'm a huge horror fan. And when the human centipede came out, I had the whole cast of the first one on our show. 
before Ron was on the show. Dieter Laser, Tom Six, everybody. So you're in the Human Centipede uh, final sequence. Uh, I don't actually remember. I uh, remember what happens in the film, but I don't remember what you did in the film. But what did you think? Because you're in that. Eric Roberts is in that. A lot of big stars were in that film. What did you think? What did you think? He's in it. Keep the one with they. Yes, he's in the, the prison one I where they like is, attach like 50 that people. That is the most disgusting, vulgar piece of shit <laughs> ever made. That film should have been put on fire. So I I, yeah, I remember, I remember there was a sequence where I had to do that. Do something sexual and violently to the teacher Laser's character. Uh, and I remember I looked, I remember thinking, okay, this is this is challenging, right? And then I looked over at Tiny Lister, and Wait, I said, I, I, "Tiny, I think we're going to go to hell for this." He said, "Rob," I said, "What? We're already in hell. We're already there, man." <laughs> <laughs> and I started laughing, man, because I thought that was hilarious. You know, the Tiny would may he rest in peace because he's passed away. But um, he was just such a nice man and uh, very friendly, and we got along well. And Jay Tavara was also in that film, who I became friends with. I just had a good time, you know, working with him every. Uh, Tom Six was friendly. Uh, oh, his sister Ilona Six was very nice. It's just a, despite the material being very barbaric and sadistic, oh, um, the the set and the way we went about it was very, very polite and responsible said, and endearing. You know, everybody was concerned. You know, I just felt like Tom Six and everybody involved just was uh, because of the nature of the material was that much more concerned about you know. Uh, the well-being of others. I didn't feel because I've been on sets, you know, the comedies, and I've done movies that would appear in the frame as this auspicious, beautiful affair. When in fact, you're working for fascists and have a terrible experience because so many people in charge are power tripping, and the stars you're working with have egos the size of Manhattan. Yes. That it's not fun. But I didn't with something as nefariously known as the Human Centipede uh, trilogy. It wasn't really a tough shoot for me. And that's it's, stuff. You know, other, than, other, other than what the material suggests. Right. The material uh, is very I, dark. Whoever, the material is dark, but I've lived in darkness so long within the mythos of the work I've done that it was very, it's kind of familiar territory for me. It wasn't like, oh, I've never done this before. It was so intense. Whoever wrote that script was into scat. There's no <laughs> question about it. That person loved Scott. I, I thought it was an ingenious movie. It's disgusting, but it's ingenious. It was okay. not ingenious. You know, too, uh, Tiny Lister no. is another one kind of like you. Rest in peace. Like, the first time I met him, he gave me this, like, mean, you know, look. Uh, yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, this guy's going to freaking kill me. And then he gave me a big hug, and he was laughing, you know, that he was intimidating. But he's a lot like you in a lot of ways. Where I mean, he, he plays roles, you know, where he comes across very intimidating when he's really like a nice guy, which just shows what a great actor he is. Yeah, I think also maybe because of his, life, his past life, like mine, you figure out very quickly out of necessity to survive and not ruin your life to keep the beast at bay to put that aspect of yourself down in the dungeon and let it live there and only feed it occasionally when necessary in front of the camera. Otherwise, they send you away forever, for real. And you end up in one so I've had to learn how to basically um, to balance out the tendency. Yes. You know, And so when they say action, I get to let that devil out, so to speak, and play a little bit. You know? Okay. Um, have you any idea how many actors do what you do, and do it poorly. I've seen it. You've seen it. How many actors try to be mean and tough 
and they just come across as actors. You are well, so believe. Wait, hang on, I'm not finished. You are so believable that you really frighten people in that theater. Your performance is so believable. I don't know what I and I met you in person. You're a dreamboat. You're one of the sweetest guys I know. The opposite of who you are on film. Get to, get, to, get to know me, Ron. Just kidding. Um, uh, anyway, no, no, listen, listen. No, but here's the thing. Here, Bobby, I don't believe that. I don't believe I, don't I know. I, I I know you can see past the facade. I get that from you because you've lived a long life and you've been through a lot of stuff. I can tell. So with respect, I'll respond to your question. I think that my my sense is that um the people the performers that try to project that don't understand the nature of it. Meaning that I don't feel that the characters or the writing suggests anything that's can be judged as good or bad. I just see it more along the lines of an individual who's tortured for any number of reasons, who's suffering and that has an inner conflict that they are wrestling with. And I think all humanity can understand the complexities of the gray area in everyone's life that we battle with this thing within ourselves. The aspect of our minds that is, re are re is reasonable and the aspect of our mind that's not so reasonable. Um, so if you come if you observe it that way and communicate the frustration of your life experiences, or if you utilize the method and you dig deep and find something in your own life, or even in the surroundings on the set that triggers you, you're not trying to do anything. You're just channeling a very authentic feeling that you have that speaks to frustration, speaks to rage, speaks to a sense of helplessness, a sense of being tortured by others, a, tense, a sense of being judged. And that makes the monster. Not trying to posture machado, machismo, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the young man or woman, mostly men, who's so tortured and frustrated by social, social circumstance that he ends up picking up a rifle, goes into a school, and kills a bunch of people. I'm not saying that's right, but I understand the precursor to that. I understand a mind that can collapse in on itself, become so confused. And distorted because it feels crushed by a society that is apathetic, that's shown it no, it's shown that person no love, that it doesn't know how to cope, so it acts out and does something that most people go, oh, that's evil, that's terrible. From my point of view, I understand why. I'm not saying the method methodology is correct. I'm saying I can understand why someone would lose their mind and do something very violent. And I also understand that psyche because I live in it. I've struggled with it. So I'm not trying to be bad. I'm simply working through a dilemma, a frustration that at times makes uh, it appear as if I'm a bad guy when it's simply I'm trying to overcome the tendency to kill. Well, you said a mouthful and it's all true. So I, I'd agree with you on that stuff. I'm in the business 64 years. In 64 years, I learned wow. Yeah, wow. I started 19 years old. My first movie was with Tab Hunter and Sophia Loren. It was that kind of woman I played a soldier. 1959. I've learned one thing never lose my Brooklyn accent because it keeps me working. I, I was on a film where <clears throat> we were three mafia guys in a cabin and we were going to chop a guy up and kill him. And uh, the one actor said to me, Ron, uh, can you teach me how to speak like you? I said, I don't know. Let's try it. So I said to him, get over here. And he said, get over here. I said, no, 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 not here. 
here. He said, how do you say that? Here, get over here. What are you doing? Get over here. He couldn't get it because he was from Connecticut. If you lost your Brooklyn accent, can you get it back if needed? I think all that all it requires is that maybe someone make me angry. <laughs> he said all it requires is maybe someone make me angry. <laughs> I, have a, I, have well, a question. I can speak correctly if needed, as you can hear now. But when I speak, you guys, you guys, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt. You guys are a lot of fun, man. Good, one I'm of the better good. interviews I've had. You make me laugh. No one makes me laugh. So I'm good. I'm kudos, kudos, kudos. Thank you. I'm not even. I'm telling you, I'm getting so fucking old. I don't remember anything anymore. Meanwhile, I have to pee. So, I mean, can I excuse myself? While I go water the lily. Yeah, go water the lily. So hey, I can talk. At my age, if we don't go right away, we piss in our pants. Are you kidding? So actually, uh, I'm going to start wearing pampas next. We have uh, two uh, people who help with the show a lot. One of them's name is Michael BJ, and he made the beautiful graphic with you on it. And the other one is B Claudia. So just say hi to Michael BJ and hi to B Claudia. Um, hi, Michael. Hi, BJ. Appreciate the work you've done. Thank you for showing me uh, love and respect. Yeah, appreciate it. it. And, um, and then, so I want to know a little bit. So uh, I don't remember your, your role in Waterworld, and I know that movie was a bomb. But no, I, no, no one does. <laughs> uh, that was a terrible movie. I liked it. I don't know why no. it was terrible. Did you get to because, work? Because I felt it was edited incorrectly. As I was watching it, I said, now what? Who gives a shit? <clears throat> I liked it. See, I, I, I'm probably the only person you know, out of, the, of all the people who saw it in the world who actually like enjoyed it because I thought it was like a lot of fun. And the girl who plays the little girl in that, you know, she grew up and she plays Veronica Mars' best friend on Veronica Mars, and I just loved it. So, so how was it, though, working on that? Because were you really working out in the water someplace? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, it was another example of the vacation that I mentioned uh, akin to uh, to death race. Uh, they paid me a lot of money. They flew me to Kona, uh, you know, one of the Hawaiian islands, and uh, I met Kevin Costner. He was very nice to me, and uh, it was like a, it was it wasn't like it was a vacation. Yeah, you know, they they put me in the body cast because there's a sequence where the character that I'm portraying, Smitty, gets killed by a jet ski, and so what they did was uh, they made a full body cast. They made this basically this robot. They painted tattoos on it. Back in those days, I had long hair. That's probably why you don't recognize me in the film. And it's just a, a couple of moments where Kevin Costner is trying to infiltrate the ship. And I'm one of the guards named Smitty. And he, I say a couple of lines. I don't remember what they are. And then he basically crushes this guy against the metal beam with the jet ski. So it was kind of fun. It's like Death Race. They built a robot to kill Grimm on the on that track, right when the when the Tyrese is driving that giant truck, and they broadside Grim, and he they obliterate him. It was kind of similar to that. Did you? Uh, I, had, I, had a, I had a, I had a great time. Did you fun. understand the story? The script? Say again. Did you? I didn't, I, 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 I'm gonna. I'm just gonna tell you straight. I don't remember going to the theaters even watching the film. I didn't watch Death Race either. When the movie came out in theaters, Death Race and Waterworld, I did not go to the movies to see it. Did you go I didn't see watch Death Race? Did you go huh? see the mule? Did you go see the mule? Yes, that I saw. Okay, that was a good. That was. I don't watch a lot of my own films. You know, sometimes I do. So I'm just discovering them now because I have a fan on social media, a, 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 a young man from South America named Marco, who's constantly putting clips of all the movies and TV shows I've been. And I'm watching them now for the first time. 
because I didn't watch a lot of the network television shows that I was on while they were on. When Nip Tuck was on, I didn't watch it. When CSI Miami was on, I didn't watch it. I didn't want to. I was. I don't know why I didn't want to. It wasn't stage fright. It wasn't judgment. It was just simply that um, I felt that what I did was good enough, and I felt satisfied in it, and I didn't feel like I needed to look at it. There was enough people, uh, Ron and Jimmy, telling me how I did. They were coming to me saying, hey, I saw it, and explaining to me their perception of this. So, well, why do I need to watch it? Everybody's telling me what it is and how it is. I don't need to investigate it. Let it, live, let it, let, let it live in its own. You don't get to choose with people like guys. You know that, right? Let the people like it. I had a good time. I'm, I was very friendly with David Caruso back in the day, uh, the star of CSI Miami. So I had fun working with him. I had fun working with Ryan Murphy. I just looked more at, at it more as it's just an experience in the workplace that either was positive, and as you spoke about earlier, negative. I had a lot of negative experiences I don't wish to talk about, but I just remember the experience. I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't tune in so much. I didn't need to. It was enough to know that people I was working for, very powerful people, were satisfied with what I was doing. That was enough for me, just to know that. I love it. In my younger years... I did a lot of television back then, mm-hmm. not a lot, but television. And I, I didn't mind watching myself because I was 28, 29, 50, 40, 30, looking good. Now, if I should happen to see me in a film, I go, oh, you ugly old fuck. What are you doing? Still working. Quit. It's time to give it up. You know, retire. Give it up, babe. So I don't enjoy seeing me on, on film. And maybe when you get to be 83, you'll feel like me, Bob. <clears throat> It, it can be difficult, Ron. I mean, I understand that. I mean, I think that's why, you know, when I met you at, at the Bloodthirst premiere, I enjoyed the movie probably mostly because I couldn't recognize, I guess, what I'm accustomed to seeing, accustomed to seeing in the mirror, you know, when I'm shaving or something. I'm like, ooh, wow, look at the makeup. Look at the cape. Look at the all the stuff they did to transform me as much as they could within the budget. So that was kind of nice to not be able to recognize this guy, right? That's pretty cool. Actually, I, I was I was with Jane, Jane Russell, and we were at my house, and we were watching one of her movies. It was Macau, where she was breathtakingly gorgeous. And I stupidly said, Jane, how does it feel looking at yourself then, and now you look at yourself? And she turned around and said, what do you think, Ron? <laughs> she didn't like looking at herself young. She found it very, very upsetting. Because she was treated like a star, catered to. Everybody adored her. She was the number one beauty in the world in yeah. 1940. So right. it's hard. Okay. It must be really, yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine what it's like for, for actresses, for women. Rita Hayworth felt the same way. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm a big fan of Rita Hayworth, you know, Gilda, yeah. right? So many great films. Yeah. I knew Rita Hayworth, and she was the same. So here's yeah. a question she, I have. She didn't like Yes, yeah, Jimmy. What's first, the question, Jimmy? Uh, first off, uh, so we have Dawn in the chat room. She just wrote, she wrote a comment about how she loved you in Bloodthirst. Just say hi to Dawn. She'll love it. Hi, Dawn. I love your name, by the way. I think it's just, I love that name, Dawn. Reminds me of an old, you'll know this reference, Ron. Frankie Valley. Dawn, go away. I'm no good for you. Remember that song by Frankie Valley? We met Frankie Valley. We know Frankie Valley. <laughs> so you know the song Dawn, right? Dawn? Yes. Yes. Dawn? Yeah. Um, anyway, so, th- thank you, Dawn. Here's something I'd like Frankie, to ask. Wait, Frankie Valley's not. Very, he's not very huh? nice. He's not very nice. Yeah, he's very nice. He's not a nice person. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. I know what that's like. Sorry he's to hear not, that. He's really not, not. He's not friendly. 
He's not cooperative, yeah. and he's very much the star. So here's my question. This, I asked this to all the actors to come on. So bucket list, you've worked with, and you've worked with a lot of people, because if I went down and like... Oh, wait, I want to answer one question before you oh, go over there. I, Why not? I, I would love to see you play a vampire. He just did. Where? Bloodthirsty was a vampire. <laughs> I'm having a stroke on television. I'm having a stroke on television. You were so disgusting in that movie. How did I forget? He wants a more normal vampire. You know what? You know what? You you were you were you were really that's fucking hilarious. I'm losing it. Okay, so now I get to go to mine. I'm really losing it. I was at the, the the red carpet. I saw you afterwards, and I forgot. Oh, I'm getting old. Okay, so here's my. Okay, I, it, maybe it's better that we forget certain things wrong. Yeah, but, you know, we, we, we we sleep better at night. I think if we forget. Yeah, Hostess were excellent. <laughs> so. You were, yes, and Costas was good. You were. Okay, good so here's that. my question. I like. What's to the ask question, you? Jimmy? Yes. What's the question? Question. First of all, you've worked with so many amazing people, and you've been in so many uh, cool things. Uh, living or dead male and female actor that you would love to work with that you have not worked with. And then the second part of the question is if you could have ever been in any movie that's ever been made in history, what movie would you have liked to have been in? Okay. We got to break this down because as, as Ron would say, my memory can't hold this. Um, <laughs> okay. So let's start with, let's start, let's start with the first question. So bucket list. There's so many actors and actresses I'd love to work with, you know, past and present, you know, people who Dan Durier. Remember Dan Durier from uh, Little Foxes and from Criss Cross? Yeah, I love him. Uh, Burt Lancaster, James Cagney, Edward G. Robinson, Rita Hayworth, um, Teresa Wright, uh, Lana Turner. Do um, you want me to keep going? <laughs> Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, all those people that have, you know, Pat, uh, uh, John Cassavetes, not Nick Cassavetes, John Cassavetes. Yes. Uh, Peter Falk, Peter Falk, Ben Gazzara. Um, yeah, I just a plethora of people, man, that I've watched. That have, and so let's bring. Okay, so let's talk about the present. Um, um, that's tough. Um, these maybe act. There's an actor that I'm a big fan of. His name is Linus Phillips. He was in a movie called Manson Family Vacation. I think he's extremely. I know he's extremely talented. Kentucker Audley, who was a film called Christmas Again, and um, so uh, there's some a lot of independent uh, uh, actors independent filmmaker film actors that i like that i feel that have an incredible talent that may not be recognized in the mainstream i have an affection yeah. for um but let's speak to people that uh that let's speak to what people may know because of you know the celebrity status uh, i'm a fan of micah monroe you know who that is that actress yeah. great yep. actress micah monroe uh he's great um fuck uh tom hardy fantastic I actor do you like yeah. tom hardy i would yeah. love I love Tom Hardy. I think uh, he's freaking awesome. Yeah. That movie Warrior yeah. was intense. Uh, Johnny Depp. Uh, Johnny Depp, I think, is he's one of the best. He's one of our best. Um, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I mean, I can go on forever and ever. Uh, you know, cool. there's so many talented actors out there that I would love to work opposite of. Those are you know, How about opposite. a movie that you could have been in? What movie would you have liked to have been in? Um, I don't know. Um, you know, so many of the decisions that are made in terms of casting casting are arbitrary and unjust. So I think that's kind of a rabbit hole uh, to go down. But I, I don't know. I, I, I can't. 
nothing comes to mind. Do you have a favorite movie, like your go-to movie, like if you're in a weird mood and you're like, okay, I got to go watch this movie? Yeah, yeah, Flashback. Flashback, oh, really? starring Micah Monroe. Um, uh, Hannah Gross is another actress that I would love to work with. I don't know if you're familiar with the actress. Hannah Gross. I don't know she, her. Yeah, she's a very terrific actress. Um, yeah, so Flashback is my go-to film. But then last the other night I watched uh, Holiday Affair with Robert Mitchum and uh, Janet Leigh. That's one of my go-to films for the holidays. Robert and then when I'm yeah, and when I'm in a dark mood, I go right to Apocalypse Now. I would have loved to work with Marlon Brando. I would have loved to work with Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Sheen. Um, that's a great film. Apocalypse Now is one of my favorite films. American Graffiti. Uh, that's a great film. You want um, I, would have, I would have loved to. I would have loved to have been in that film, American Graffiti. I would have loved to have been in Apocalypse Now. Um, I would have loved to have been in the Poseidon Adventure. Shelley Winters. Uh, Gene, I would love. I would have loved to work with Gene Hackman. Red Buttons. Uh, uh, Gene Hackman. Yes. You know? Le 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 Leslie Leslie Nielsen as the captain before the Naked Gun thing happened. He was the captain of the USS Poseidon in the Poseidon Adventure, man. So Pamela, remember? Hey, Ron, you remember Pamela Sue Martin? Yes. Pamela Sue Martin. I would have loved to work with her. Yeah, I grew up with a whole bunch of actors, man, that I fell in love with. Kay Lenz, Kay Lenz, who was in the movie that Clint Eastwood directed called Breezy, William Holden. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Shelley Winters. Yeah. Uh, she's a dear friend. She was. I wow. saw her the night before she passed away. I went to the, uh, the uh, home that she was in the place, and I said to her, Shelley, remember, you're coming on our show. She said, Ron, as soon as I'm bad, I promise you I'm coming on your show. And I didn't kiss her face, but I kissed her hand. And I, I thought you were going to say something. I thought you were going to say something else. Sorry. I don't know, but I remember Shelley because having lunch with her every Thursday at the Silver <laughs> Spoon in Hollywood, we got stories about all the men she banged. That Burt <laughs> Lancaster was rough and knocked the head to the wall. Sean Connery was the best. She banged everybody in Hollywood. She was the funniest lady in the world. And so proud of her love conquests, very well missed, and a tremendous. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember the film A Place in the Sun? Montgomery Cliff, got an Academy Shelley Winters. Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Taylor, great but film. But Shelley in person was not an actress. Shelley was a person. She never, yeah. she never pulled the actress routine on you. Now Dan Dorier, who you mentioned, I made a mistake. Yeah. I once said to him, I bet you get the parts that Richard Woodmark turns down. And oh, he got wow. He must, yeah. Because that was the conflict back then. They, yeah, I know. They look similar. They had a similar look. Yeah, and I get it. I said, if you couldn't get Richard Woodmark, get Durian. I, I know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of stories about all those people. Uh, I'm just glad that you get the references. A lot of people I talk to, I might as well be speaking Chinese. They don't understand any of the references I mentioned. I'm glad you, you know who I'm talking about. Well, because they're not a part of Hollywood. You see, in Europe, if you go to Italy, you can yeah. talk about Anna Magnani, and 15-year-olds know who she is. Wow. You see, yeah. Europe does that. Europe never buries the old. America. Right? Yeah, we suck. <laughs> we suck. Those of you, 20 years, 30, 40 years from now, nobody will know who you are. Well, no, I, no, and no. I don't think they know now. I don't think I don't think they know or give a shit now. Other than with respect to you two gentlemen who've given me the platform to talk, thank you. But I I'm think just, most people could care less. 
No, America is very disposable. Exactly. Our loves you. They think you're terrific, but we're also out of time. Okay. I think he's terrific. Okay. Yeah. Our chat room loves it. So first of all, uh, you, you're not really on social media, right? Because I couldn't find anything that you were active on. So I just- not, no, not I don't have Instagram. I have a, a Facebook page, but it's not really. It doesn't make a lot. It hasn't made much impact, and 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 that's intentional. Yes, I know. I knew that. I knew that already. Yeah. So we want to thank you, number one, for coming on thank the you. show. Anytime you. you have anything that you want to promote, please let us know. We'd love to have you back. We hope Thanks, you guys. and your family and your loved ones have a fantastic Christmas. Thank you. And, um, and I also want to thank Tamara, Tamara Glenn just because she told me. Like, yeah, Tam. I love Tamara Glenn. Tamara Glenn. I love Tam. Good she friend. Told me I love to her. Meet you and that we're going to love you. And she was right. And so I want to thank you. And um, so have a, a really merry, merry Christmas. Thank, Thank you, you so much for coming on the show, and we'll see you soon. And if you need I anything, let us know. I just hope we have an opportunity to run into each other again. Oh, we will. I just read my fucking mind. That's exactly yeah. what I thought. I just, yeah. I, we should run into each other. We should have a lunch or something. Absolutely. I, I got stories for you. I know you do. I need to hang out with people who make me laugh. Well, where oh, are he'll you? make you laugh. Listen, <laughs> okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell you stories that'll make your hair fall out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robert. Thank you so Robert, much for being in touch. And a, if you need anything, you're a let me know. pleasure twice. When I met you in the street and now, you're a pleasure twice. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that, Ron. Take, Take care, care, guys. Bye-bye. God bless. God Bye. bless. Take care, bud. What, what a great guest, you guys. What guy. a terrific guest. You know, guest. he scares the shit out of you in movies, but knowing him... He is such a terrifically nice Chat person. Chat loved him. They loved him. So now we're going to bring on our next guest. Let's bring I, him in. Bring I, him I, in. I love Bobby also. He's a good actor. And a hey, good hey, actor. hey. Tell me, McLaughlin, hello. how are you? That's how we hey. pronounce your last name, right, McLaughlin? McLaughlin, you got it. All right, everybody. Now we want to welcome to the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell, actor, writer, director, producer, rock star, and Emmy nominee, Tommy McLaughlin. Hello and welcome to the show. Hi, you guys. We are you know, great. I just was watching. You guys are Hollywood. I mean, truly, truly. Yeah, I grew up in this town, and I miss people like you who have the history down, who really are able to tell stories. I mean, anytime I've ever worked with people who, you know, were part of this industry for a long time, there's so many great stories. And I've been with this kind of the young generation coming up, and they just don't have a sense of history at all. And I mean, I had to know about radio and obviously now podcast, television, you know, 3D, whatever came along, you know, you had to be an expert on all those things. And you guys I, have all that great knowledge. It's wonderful. Let me introduce you first. This is my cool, outrageous man about time post, Ron Russell. Hey, how are you? I, I'm, I'm lucky. My mother was Jenny Gabriel, a silent movie actress, and I was oh. raised Hollywood, even though yeah. I lived in Brooklyn and New York. My yeah. mother never left Hollywood mentally. So growing up, I had the opportunity to live across the street from Rita Hayworth, have wow. Jane Russell as my best friend for years, That's to great. know all the great stars of Hollywood, because I was a young fellow. I, I, Reynolds was a good friend, and yeah. Ted Hunter was my best hang friend. Hang on, hang on. You're- Hello, Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell listeners. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. Their food! What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. 
and this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. This worked amazingly for our dogs Shazam, Astro, and Brandy. We are noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat, just looking and acting younger. They love it. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com forward slash Jimmy and Ron and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com forward slash Jimmy and Ron. You're going to like this. So first of all, first I want to tell you, so um, because I'm a, he's not really a horror movie fan, I'm a huge horror movie fan. So I knew who you were and we run in the same circle, actually. Like I went, I looked at who we have in common on Facebook. We have a ton of the same friends. Um, Adam Marcus is a friend of ours. And I put I the, Adam. Adam's a great guy. Great and he, he's, he, you know, your brother. But what I did not know from you is that horror is just like a, a very small percentage of what you've actually like done. When I was doing research for you coming on the show, um, you know, basically you've directed so many superstars, like AAA superstar list people uh, in all these t- – and you did a ton of TV films, but Ron's going to like this because I'm going to brag a little bit for you real quick before we start talking. So here's some of the people, you guys, that, that Tommy was the director, the director of the movie of these stars, Diane Carroll, Kirk Douglas, Dane DeHaan, he won't know who that is, Annie McDowell. Uh, Mahershala Ali, Julia Ormond, Jenna Dewan, Kevin Paul, Treat Williams, Ileana Douglas, she was on the show, uh, uh, Joe Montagna, Charles Durning, Maggie Grace, Robert Forster, Bradley Whitford, oh, Donald Sutherland, Matthew Fox, Della Reese. Yes. I'm mentioning Curry Graham just because we had him on the show not too long ago. Shelley Long, Meg Tilly, Jacqueline Bissett, Perry King, Robert England, Tim Matheson, Christopher Maloney, Brian Dennehy, Jason Robards, Robert Rustler, Kirk Douglas, Valerie Bertinelli, Kelly McGillis, Larry Hagman, Hal Holbrook, Marion Ross, Eileen Brennan, Craig Nelson, Gene Smart, Shirley Knight, Molly Ringwald is my favorite, Lee Grant. And that's just, I only picked out the ones, you know, from like who I actually why, knew were stars. Why don't we just say Hollywood? So you are Hollywood. When you were saying that, I mean, just, you have really say, done just it. Say you, know, you know, it takes one to know one, right? Or no two. Yeah. Well, I think I, it is I, so I, impressive. I feel it. Bob was a good friend. I love Bob. Robert Foster. Yeah. Robert Foster was one of he was oh, a very he was in, I was in a movie called The Black Hole for Disney. I was hired to basically choreograph the robots and the uh, and and the humanoid characters. But Gary Nelson, the director, said, "I love the way you move and stuff. We're going to write a piece for you in the in the in the movie." So I was Captain Star in this you know robot outfit and i you know did like a shootout with the two little robots in there but this was in the middle of production so i mean again it was that kind of you know being in the right place at the right time something happens and suddenly bang you know you get to do something you never expected you'd get to do uh but that was a lot of it was my pantomime training you know i'd studied with marcel marcel for a year in paris when i was 19 so that kind of was what was my calling card into the business and my first, uh, the first person to hire me was Woody Allen for the movie Sleeper. So I worked with Woody on that comic robot that he did. And then me and all my other mime friends, you know, were the robots in Sleeper. So that got me my SAG card and kind of, you know, set me off on my path. I well, think it's a hell, of a hell of a path. Yeah. A, a lot of the people that you, you've worked with, I, I knew. 
And um, they were the ones that I knew were all nice. So you work with some of my nice. Bob was a little strange, Foster. He was a little strange, don't you think? He was, very, he was very deep. He was very deep. But I liked him a lot because he yeah. was honest. He was to the shoulder. Um, Joy, I'm going to do one more brag. So you guys, here's other things you know. So horror people, you guys know him, obviously, uh, writer and director of Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. Um, we've actually had like a lot of the people from that on the show, uh, from that that actual CJ Graham was just on not too long ago. Um, also, Friday the 13th, Vengeance. Steve Dash was a very good friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, uh, we lived in Florida, and uh, he actually, when, when I started this show, he was one of my first guests who came into the studio and did it with us when we were in Florida. Great, um, great loss. Some of, yes, some of the other horror stuff, you guys know him, Stephen King, sometimes they come back. Uh, she Wolf of London. They came from outer space. That's not really horror, but that was a TV series that you wrote and produced, right? Did you know that show? They came from outer yeah. space. And he's the writer. Per- I, 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 loved, I loved it. I'm a you know I'm an outer space freak. You guys. He also wrote Friday the Thirteenth, the series. He was the director and writer. Freddy's Nightmares. He also was a TV series writer for Van Dyke and Company. That's like that's a the Van Dyke guy on Sunday nights on MeTV. Dick Van, <laughs> Dick Van Dyke. I couldn't think of his. Um, Dick Van Dyke show. Which I think is, uh, you know, kind of like unbelievable. Plus, he's got all these fan, fan. Uh, also, he was an actor in the Incredible Shrinking Woman with Lily Tomlin. <laughs> we just met Lily Tomlin in March of this film. year. We that, met her. That is one of the funniest films. I love Lily. Yeah. I know Lily Tomlin for over sixty-five years. We, I met her when we were all young, mm-hmm. and, and she's just as wonderful today. When I saw her a couple of months ago, as she was sixty-five years ago. And when he did the black hole, other people, Maximilian Schell, Robert Forster, Ernest Borgnine, Anthony Perkins, and Roddy Aunt Perkins and Roddy McDowell were in that. I knew you did something with Anthony Perkins. I couldn't figure out what. So now I just saw it in my notes. You really worked with the creme de la creme. I've been very blessed, guys. I've just You're been, really uh, blessed. you know, for those who've read my book or the book on me, I didn't write it, but I just talked for about three weeks. And Joe Madri wrote this book called A Strange Idea of Entertainment. And, you know, it's it's just like, Kind of, I've been like Forrest Gump. You know, I ended up being in these situations where suddenly something happened, like you know, going to the Monterey Pop Festival and no, seeing Jimi Hendrix and all these incredible artists, and that, of course, changed my life. Made me want to be a you know rock and roll uh, star. Well, by the way, I actually we're going to talk about that in a minute. But tell everybody the name of the book again. A strange idea of entertainment. Uh, conversations you. with Tom McLaughlin. There, it's you know, it's on Amazon and. Uh, you know, Kindle and all that stuff. It's, you know, the guy wrote it, Joe wrote it because he said nobody's he's ever interviewed has had so many sort of eclectic different things that, you know, I did because I started, my father was a magician and a fire eater. So as a kid, that's what I wanted to do. But then, you know, he was also a USC film student and we lived next to the old MGM backlot. So on the weekends, my friends and I would go under the fence and we would shoot our little eight millimeter movies on the back lots of MGM. So oh. that obviously <laughs> got me, you know. That is so cool. You still have that film. So, yeah, I still have John Sturgis's director's chair. I just saw this chair. It's a director. And I picked it up and I took off with it. And I was like, what, t- 10 maybe at that time. And uh, years later, I met John Sturgis and I said, I got a confession. I I. So I took your, you know, your 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 stool there, your your chair years ago, and 
what, what was that? And I think I said, I think it was Ice Station Zebra you were doing or something. And he goes like this and goes, that's where that fucking chair went. And I oh. went, I, do you remember? He goes, no. Hey, if it helped you, great. Any other advice? Yeah, wear comfortable shoes. Bill Hellman did Ice Station Zebra. That's funny. Okay. I like that movie. Listen, question. Mm-hmm. What made you become uh, the director you are today and having such a resume that you have? Because I know a million directors and they all wish they had half of the stars to direct that you have. What is it about you that's so fucking great? <laughs> First and foremost, I love actors. I, you know, I, I recently, well, not recently, it's been five, six or seven years, uh, did a film with uh, uh, Tatum O'Neill. And Tatum, unfortunately, all the things that's happened to her has really made her very, you know, skitzy working with her and stuff. But I adored her because I was reading her book at the same time I was working with her. So I had such empathy for the things that she went through. And to give a little girl, you know, an Oscar when she was like nine and her father, you know, was up with, you know, Stanley Kubrick doing Barry Lyndon. And he didn't get that same acknowledgement. And there, from then on, you know, and we just obviously lost him. God, God bless him. Sorry about Tatum O'Neill. I lived in Oyster Bay Cove on Long Island. Mm-hmm. And my neighbor was Tatum O'Neill and the, the tennis player. She had lights in her tennis court that could light up all of Manhattan. Yeah. We never turned them off. My bedroom window faced those lights. At night, my bedroom was like 40 seconds Street there. <laughs> so I couldn't get to them because the security was whatever, whatever. But I finally got to one of the house people. And I said, could you please tell Miss O'Neill that her fucking lights are blinding me? <laughs> so he said, do you want me to? I said, yes, say it exactly as I said it. And could she kindly turn them off at night when she, she wasn't even in the town? She was in Hollywood somewhere. Mm. Those lights never went off. So I so wanted to get a rifle and from my bedroom window, shoot the bulbs out. But yeah, getting back to your question about actors. Yeah, I mean, my greatest experience working with an actor was Donald Sutherland. And here you'll love this. Basically, I was hired. Marlon Brando picked me to do this, direct him in this TV movie. Um, And I went to Brando's house I was there for three hours with him. It was like sitting with Colonel Kirks and the Godfather. <laughs> Brilliant, a genius, and crazy as <laughs> shit house dog. It, you know, it, but he could, I could ask him a question and he'd go, you know, when I first did, and he'd go off onto some tangent, but eventually come back and answer that question. But just as a storyteller and just to be in his presence was amazing. But you know, we went up to Toronto. We started to prep the picture. I was pick, picking locations. And suddenly I get a call from CBS because this was the CBS movie. He said, uh, Marlon, I don't think is going to be doing this now. I said, what? Why? He says, well, he's changed his mind and he doesn't want to play the father figure. He wants to play the son who was like, I don't know, 30. <laughs> and they said, I said, are you kidding? What did he say? Yeah, he wants to, as Marlon would say, I want to be on the back of a motorcycle and throw toilet paper to the pool. <laughs> and of course, CBS went, no, uh-uh, not at a million dollars a week. 
which is what his, you know, this check was. So we got Donald Sutherland and that was the greatest blessing in my entire career because Donald, every night when we wrapped, he'd say, what are you doing, governor? And I said, I'm having dinner with you, sir. And that's what we would do. And we'd go over the next day's work and he would cut lines from himself um, because he just said, I'm acting that, I'm doing that. And just, I love that because to me, the movies were movies when they were silent, you know, when they were universal. It was like, as D.W. Griffith said, it was the first universal language. You could play it any place for any age and it works. So whenever I'm doing things because of my mind background, I'm always looking for what is it that the actor's doing? What is it that the shot's doing that speaks to you beyond just the words? Real quick, I, I, I don't want to one-up you. I sound like I am, but I'm not. But my niece, Mary Brando, was married to, to her Marlon Brando's son. Wow. So I have a lot of stories about Marlon Brando, which I will not tell. <laughs> I bet. My very dear, wonderful friend, the fabulous actress, Lorene Landon. You might know Lorene Landon. Lorene Landon was lovers. After Mary divorced Christoph Christian, then Lorene went out with him. So I've got stories there also. Now, about Donald Sutherland, I could probably be sued for this, so I have to be careful. When I lived in Beverly Hills, my neighbor next door was Barbara, the one from Peyton Place, Barbara, uh, the brunette actress, beautiful. Oh, uh, uh, um. Barbara, the whole. Parkin, Perkin, Parkin. Barbara Parkin. Parkin. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So my kitchen window looked into her patio. And she would wash her panties and bras and put them on the edges to dry. Well, I could see in her living room, and I used to see Donald Sutherland there all the time. You're not going to expand. That's it. Okay. I don't want okay, so to get sued. Have me at panties. Barry, just stop there. That'll be good. So I'm actually doing a movie. Wait, with so people now. say to me, you should write a book. I said, yeah. if I wrote a book, forget about it. So hang on, in the chat room, first of all, first of all, Michael VJ, the guy who actually said I should, he sent me a message saying, you should have Tommy McLaughlin on the show. And I said, I don't actually know him. He said, I'll ask him. And so that's how we got you on. So Michael, so say hi to him in the chat room. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great and to also, be with you guys. Uh, B. Claudia just bought your book and she, she said she can't believe it that you opened for the doors. Yeah. Tell us something about that, because the music people will really like get that. What does he do? I thought he's a director. He's a director. He's an actor. He's a musician. What kind of music? Yeah, as I started to say that, you know, that I was doing film and I was a magician when I was a kid. When the Beatles hit, that was it. The hair went. I went. I got kicked out of seven high schools in this town because <laughs> I wouldn't cut my hair because I was in a band. But we were on the Sunset Strip opening for Love, for Pink oh. Floyd, for The Animals, and for The Doors. We're going to be the band, the Sloths. We're going to be at the Whiskey A Go Go uh, next month, January 14th. Uh, and we're going to be opening for Love once again. It's the Whiskey's 60th anniversary. So they're having us back because, yeah, we were we were teenagers in those days. And it was amazing to be around people who eventually became, you know, legends like obviously the doors. Oh, I met so he, was, uh, he was, uh, he was exactly as you saw him pretty much in that movie. He wasn't all there all the time because he just, you know, he had so much talent. He was, I don't know. He just sort of had to keep medicate, medicate, medicating what's himself. With what's, what's the name of your group? The Sloss. The Sloss. 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 Like the cute little furry animals, except we're not very cute oh, okay. uh, with, the, with the paws. Oh, you know, I was one question. I don't know how old you are, but I go back to the days of Mama Cuss. 
Of what? I'm sorry. Mama Cass. Mama Cass. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was at a party with her on Laurel Canyon. So I don't know. It has to be at least my age. I don't want to give away her age, but I'm, <laughs> 80, I'm 83. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm 10 years younger. I'm 73. Okay. So I, I knew the, the older rock groups. and you, I was around when, listen, Doris Day, Peggy Lee were the thing. And then the next morning came rock and roll. So I was at the birth of rock and roll. Nobody liked it. All, yeah. the, all, the, all the white people, I must tell you, the real Republican white people, they didn't like it. They thought that the black performers shouldn't be performing. And yeah. anybody that listens to black rock groups were weird or whatever. It was a terrible time. And nobody speaks about that. That's what pisses me off. But early rock and roll groups like the Doors, like Chicago, any of those groups, Country Joe and the Fish, any of those. Do you know who Country Joe and the Fish is? No, I saw them perform in Monterey. I mean, all the groups you're mentioning, other than the Doors, <laughs> they're all <laughs> Monterey pop. Country Joe was before your time. Uh, yeah. Anyway, now he's, he's, he's all in concert. He's did you know who the Ink Spots were? Of course. They started the black group singing, and everybody that was white was up in arms. What is this? These black people. So it was a terrible, terrible time for rock and roll. And thank God, over the years, the white people started to educate and hear the music and see the talent. And then came along all the, 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 uh, the Four Tops and all those guys. And then came Johnny Mantis. Who made he loves the, Johnny Mantis. The, the, best, the best singer in the world. Yeah. Nobody sings better than John. So hang on, wait a second. Wait, I go my back. question to oh. you is, how did you feel about the changing of music from ballads, from Frank Sinatra and Peggy Lee to uh, rock and roll? It, all I can say is it's a generational thing. I mean, every generation has to discover their own you know, music, what they love. I went with my son to one of those, uh, you know, the electric, you know, synthesized type, you know, music where everybody is like bouncing along as they're playing this stuff. And I didn't understand it. So I had to go and see it. And when I saw it, I went, this is just like in the 60s when we had love-ins and it was all this psychedelic, noisy stuff. But that was our music. I hated it. I've been a rhythm and blues man from the very beginning because it's Elvis turned me on to that. You know, and then obviously the Beatles, the Stones, they all did that music, which opened up the door for a lot of these artists that wouldn't have been discovered. I like love it. Okay, I want to I want to go because because we do have a big horror audience, so I want to talk horror a little bit and okay. go after Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Jason lives. Um, so you wrote it, you directed it. Were you a fan of the franchise already? Like we've had Sean Cunningham on the show, and like we had Adam Marcus on the show. Yeah. Um, and we've had almost every actor who's played Jason on the show over the years. Um, so you weren't, were you a horror movie fan before you started? No, 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 no. I was a huge horror movie fan, still am. Um, when these movies open, thank God I have a girlfriend who on Thursday nights, we look and see if there's a horror movie opening on Friday because they always do these, you know, preview things or the, you know, pre-opening day. And we're there 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, whatever it is. She's right there with me. So I cannot get away from it even if I wanted to, and I don't. Uh, Shutter is on here pretty much 24-7. So horror is certainly a huge part, if not most of my life. 
but I wasn't a fan of slasher movies from the standpoint of trying to be a filmmaker in the 70s. And I, you know, I had this idea because I was in the catacombs in Paris and I thought it's so claustrophobic and thousands and thousands of bones and skulls. What if you were trapped down there? And I was trying to figure out how to do it. And I turned it into a mausoleum here in Los Angeles uh, at you know Hollywood Forever Mausoleum, where my crypt sits today waiting for me to take residency. But yeah. that was the idea. I did not want to do a slasher movie. But ironically, when I was offered it, I said, can I put humor in it? And that ultimately made it OK for me and likable characters. And here we are 37 years later. And, you know, I'm still talking about it. What's the movie called? Friday the 13th, Jason Lives. My responsibility was to bring Jason back from the dead. They killed him in part four. Part five, it wasn't really him. Oh, and the didn't like that. So six, I just said, you know what? I'm stealing from James Whale and Frankenstein and lightning bolt. I've got to find a way to get a lightning bolt into the, into the <laughs> coffin, you know, which I did. And that the rest of it kind of just worked out as, as a, I tried to make it more like a film with, you know, People had agendas. Jason had an agenda and Tommy, the lead, had an agenda. So it wasn't just a series of kills. They both were trying to get something accomplished. And it's I think a franchise, you know, to have to have participated in such a big way in the franchise, you know, even doing like the fan films and stuff, um, you know, because I think that basically Halloween, Friday the 13th, those are probably like and, and maybe maybe Hellraiser. Those are probably like your three biggest you know, franchises that everybody knows. Yeah, and uh, Texas Chainsaw. I mean, oh, yeah, Texas Chainsaw. I mean, here's the deal, guys. I mean, you both would appreciate this. Obviously, we all grew up with Universal monsters: Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy. Those were the monsters, and we really didn't have, you know, the '50s were like sci-fi things and stuff. '60s was The Exorcist, The Omen. You know, all things kind of went into that. By the time we got to the '80s, suddenly there's these monsters that you know came along, and which exactly Leatherface and Michael Myers from Halloween, all these guys, Chucky. And we thought we were making Drek. We thought we were just making a buck and this is what we're gonna do. What we really wanted to do was what they were doing in the seventies, like The Godfather and Rocky and these great movies. And we were just kind of slumming it, doing what we could to make a living. And now you cut a couple of years, or I should say a couple of decades later, these things became the monsters of this generation. Yes. And they are discovering these movies as it goes along. So when I go to these horror conventions, it's amazing. They know the movies better than I do. My own movie better than I do. You know, they've watched it so many times. They grew up watching it. I, I couldn't imagine my kid at eight years old watching my Friday the 13th, yeah. but they do now, you know? I like, love it. So do you have a, a particular, like, do you have a favorite horror movie? Exorcist. Okay, great movie. Yes. I was there the first week when it opened. I saw grown men falling to their <laughs> on the floor, uh, passing out during the during the uh, bone. Uh, no, I, I want to say bone barrel, but uh, they're doing that that thing. Men are not very good with needles, but just seeing people throw up, run up the aisles. Uh, Blatty and Friedkin had an ambulance out front, you know, which of course really helped the publicity. But sometimes they needed it because people really were affected, and I thought. Mm, I got to figure out how to do something like that one day because, boy, that really kicked well, it off. What was it about the film that made – I saw the exodus. I didn't think it was anything. Did you uh, see it the first week? You got to uh, see it when it first came out because that's – because nobody knew what they were about to see. 
Right. Yeah, yeah I didn't know. He's said, like that. He's like that with uh, what's Psycho. The no, when, no, no, when, Psycho. I, when I went to see Psycho, they wouldn't let us in. Yeah. Until the film was over and they redid it. And The Exorcist, I saw it when it first came out. Yeah. And he didn't like Night of the Living Dead as the one that scared him. I think oh, that, Night of the Living Dead terrified the original, the black. Yeah. And oh, yeah. The original George I Romero saw, film. Yeah. Saw, we all saw it at midnight, which was also great. Like I saw it for the first time on television in the dark in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I was a mess. That movie was eerie and scary. As, and, you know, Eileen, uh, what's her name? Eileen Dietz. Is, is a, fr- a friend of ours. Yeah, friend of mine, too. We, we had acting class together, and we, uh, we still see each other at these. Oh, so we know her a long time. Yeah, great, she's, she's a great. good you also, you also did, the, the, like, 13 Fanboy, and, like, because we've had a lot of these people on the show, Corey Feldman, Kane Hodder, C.J. Graham, Laura Park Lincoln. Um, the interesting thing, I didn't actually appear in the movie, but one of our songs from The Sloss is in the movie, so I, I have a little piece of it. Is that the same way with the Friday the 13th Vengeance 2 Bloodlines? Because we had C.J. Graham, Tamara Glenn, and Paul Taylor on the show. Well, Vengeance, the two Vengeance movies came about that the uh, directors and writers called me and said, you know, would you mind if we took that part of your story that you didn't do, which is Jason's father, you know, in my Jason Lives, that's how it was supposed to end. You were going to meet his father. And Paramount didn't want to do that because they didn't want the audience who were pissed off the previous Friday that it wasn't Jason. They didn't want anybody to go. Now what's the next one be about Jason and his daddy. So they said, you know, if you could just take that out of the, you can do everything else you want. I had total control on that movie, which was amazing. Frank Mancuso genius. You know, I, I kiss, I, I kiss his robes because he really just let me run with the ball, but they called and said, could they do that? I said, absolutely. And they go, well, would you like to come up and play the caretaker and do you know the scene in the beginning with uh, Jason's father, who's C.J. Graham, who was obviously my Jason. So I was there in a heartbeat. And uh, then they loved the character that I did, Walt, so they carried on onto the next one. So I got to do kind of a bigger role and kind of be part of his plot, you know, in the movie. I love it. Out of all the things that you do and you're famous for, what is the number one thing that you love doing the most? Directing. Directing, I love I love being in that maelstrom with eighty people asking questions all simultaneously and knowing I've done my work, you know, my research. I've studied the stuff inside out, so any actor could ask me anything about anything, I would have an answer. And if I didn't have an answer, I did what I heard Scorsese and say, you just say I don't know, but I will talk to the person who does and get you in touch with them. I love that. First, That's a good answer. A good answer. First question. Do you believe in rehearsal? Yes. Yes. Because nowadays they don't. I've been in films where I said, when do we rehearse? They said, we don't. I said, you mean you're going to shoot once and that's a take? They said, yes. So I was supposed to do, I was supposed to do a movie with Frank Sinatra, one scene, you know, and I found out that, you know, he's going to say it once. If he didn't get it, that's it. You know, and so there are certain stars that are very much about, we're not going to go take after take while you see if you can find it. You know, no. so I've, tr- I've had to balance myself, just like if I have an actor in a scene who's a method actor and the other came from improv, you know, and all the other different, you know, acting techniques, you have to kind of handhold them through each one of those things and hope that the person who's great on the first take is going to still be great, you know, on the third take, because that's when the other actor starts to get his sea legs. 
Now, where where are you positioned when you're shooting? Are you in another room or are no, you the same? Never. never. I, I hated when the monitors came in. For one, I hated that I was looking at television, you know, a little black and white screen. Mm -hmm. um, I eventually got a little hand monitor so I could, as I always do, stay by the camera, stay close to the actors and just check the shot to make sure, you know, headroom's not getting chopped off or whatever and if i'm that's that's happening then i've hired the wrong camera operator and so that doesn't happen very often but it does give me a sense of okay i see that everything's working it's you know it's framed correctly and so on but you have to be by the actors they have that's your you know you're their audience you're the barometer did it work did it not work and and the feelings that you get there hopefully are trans, you know, translating through the, the camera. And right. if they're good actors, it is. And even if they're terrible actors, but they are interesting personalities, that comes through. So you always find that when I hire people that are complete unknowns, haven't done anything, if they have that kind of personality that just, you know, transcends. That, it's was, my, that was my next question. My objection to working nowadays, as opposed to working 65 years ago, 65 years ago, you had to have acting ability, you had to audition, you had to know somebody to even get a bit part in a movie. Yep. Today, I could say to the producer, here's $15,000, I've never acted in my life, I have no idea what to do, but I want to be in your movie so I could tell all my friends I'm an actor. Yeah. What do you do? How do you deal with this, if you even do? I think you're too big to deal with this. I don't well, think... No, I'm, I'm far from too big, and I've, I've also learned you have to be you have to roll with it. I mean, the thing I hate more than anything else right now, and part of it too, the, the actors were part of the strike was over this thing too, is the auditions. You don't get to go in the room with the actors and work with them. If they made a wrong choice, you know, you say, let's try it this way. You know, how about if this element, how about the situation is more like this? They send in tapes now. And basically, they're directing themselves. They're either using their own instincts or have an acting coach helping them Usually, so you're just getting a tape and sometimes you know you do get what you want from that but so much there's like you're missing opportunities you're missing the actor being able to be truly creative with the director which is all part of the process so that's a great thing that you just said i think that is and that is so, so, yeah, missing. It is so I, missing i am so in agreement with you because i'm in the business 64 years i started at 19. i've worked on television stage and film okay I deserve to work for you, but <laughs> okay. oh, let me finish. But I resent the guy that gives you 15,000 who has no experience and has not suffered the slings and arrows I have, gets that part. Yeah. Do you follow what I'm saying? I earned that part for you. I deserve that part for you. I can give you the best performance you ever could get. And you're gonna hire some shithead for $15,000 to portray. <laughs> this is what I hate about the business. I make it very vocal on my Facebook page. I, I announce it to all the producers I know. Stop bringing in the I want to show off to my friends actor. Everybody and their mother wants to be an actor today. You could be nobody, jerk, a, a, a drugged up asshole, and you get a part in a movie. But if you're now, you know, on on any of the YouTube videos that, that you know, can get to everybody, um, obviously, you know, the uh, anything that's that's social media, you know, actors are coming off of that now. They're getting, you know, starring roles and they've not had any acting experience, well, just I, their personality. 
because they've got I, millions I, of I, followers. I, all, I only do SAG movies. I will die a SAG actor. Uh, I am in a few uh, crappy films. They're not crappy. I shouldn't say that. They're two dollar low budget movies. Two dollar movies only because the producer is a dear friend of mine, mm. and he asked me to come into the film. And I'm I'm done two of them so far. There's a third sequel. He has to be in it because he's the same character in all of them, so he has to go back and do it again. And you know what? It hurts me because people say, Ron Russell, let me see what he's done. And suddenly those movies come up and people say, next. Well, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but I don't. When I go to a movie, I do not think any movie is bad terrible, horrible, any of those things. I think everybody on there was trying to make something good. If they're going to have their name on it, they would want to. If they're only doing it for the money, well, okay, you're going to get a kind of a half-assed performance out of it. But all the other technical people and everybody who's trying are doing that. So I hate when people go, oh, it's just a piece of crap. Well, that's $200 million piece of crap. Somebody believed in it. You know, so Actually, and if it's a tiny little low budget thing, you know, that the whole thing was shot on this, fine. If it works, great. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. The everything you can do yourself. Some of the low budget movies he's been in have cult followings. They do extremely well. They're distributed in like 40 countries. Yes, uh, but what stuff. I'm saying is if he w- watched my reel, he'd say, I don't want this guy. He's a shitty third, third rate actor. Because the scripts aren't good. Because well, the lighting good. isn't good. The directing isn't good. Nothing is good. It looks like it was shot with an 8 millimeter by a 10-year-old after these films. <laughs> There's no professionalism in it. I love directors. I'm the only actor I know that loves directors. He likes the director yes. to say, yes, you're doing a good job. Or no, do it no, this no, way no, or no, don't no. do it that I way. I would love to work for him because I would say to him, Tommy, can I get it better? Can you tell me where to go with it? I'm missing something, Tommy. What is it? A lot of times That's a director I adore and love. Well, this, this gets back, Ron, this gets back to your thing about rehearsal. If you can rehearse, you can find what the actor's thinking, what you're thinking, and you collaborate. Before you go and do it on the, on the set, which is very costly if you start yes. trying to give acting lessons no. there. You I, want the actor to know and, and make a choice and be solid with it. I'm a devil because I could be in, I was in a scene, oh, oh, I was playing a killer Brooklyn mafia murderer who slices people up after I kill them. I couldn't get a more disgusting person than I, okay? And I'm reading the script and I said to the director, I said, what the hell kind of shit is this? He said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm a killer, tough Brooklyn. Hey, get over here. I'm going to kill you. And my line is, heck, Don, gee whiz. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to murder you. Heck, Don, gee whiz. Something like that. I said, can we rewrite this? Because it doesn't work. It's not Brooklyn talk. And the line was, oh, you mean that giant up there where they serve the the coffee cups that smell like dirty ass? That was the line. What a line. Is that the coffee cups up there where it, it smells like dirty ass? <laughs> so we shot it, but we took out that line. They should have kept it, actually. No, we did shoot it with it. And when the film went to Europe, it did so well. And the people loved that line. 
So what's the name of the film, Ron? Could I give it? I was called the film. Oh, Big Freaking Rat. Big Freaking Rat. Ah, okay. About a big killer rat. Huge. They built this big, big Volkswagen size rat. We have three minutes. I want to get some stuff in. Oh, I love him. I want So, you guys, you can follow Tommy on his Instagram. It's Tommy.McLaughlin. Uh, don't make sure you put the dot in there. Uh, what do you have? Like, do you have anything current that we should tell people to go see? Or we want to just say, look you up on IMDb and go see everything. <laughs> well, we're, we're putting together a show, kind of a reality show called the cemetery man. And I'm the cemetery man, mainly because I have this obsession with, I'm still in my second act. My third act is once I'm behind the marble there in the mos- cathedral mausoleum, uh, you know, with the, uh, Rudolph Valentino right down the hall and Laurie around the corner from me. Uh, But that, you know, we're doing this, this reality show, uh, which hopefully we finally get before the cameras uh, top of this year. Um, I've got another thing I'm writing, directing, and also starring in that we're going to do down in Texas. um, That's called M the letter M um, no relationship to the Peter Laurie M, but you know, it's a, it's, it's also very dark. Um, I, I mentioned we're going to be the Sloss, which if you go on the Sloss.org, you know, you can see some of the stuff or even go on YouTube uh, and just put the Sloss band. You'll see a lot of my craziness on stage. I'm a completely different personality up there, uh, which is a lot of fun to escape into. So, uh, yeah, and, and Facebook, all that stuff, you know, you, you got to kind of do the media because you got to, you know, hopefully find that person that comes in and says, I like what you're doing. Let's let's do something together. So it's, it's Tommy, I'm going to ask you a question and I want an honest answer or don't answer it at all. Are you expensive? Am I expensive? <laughs> uh, you know, I hate to tell you, there's an old saying, you have to love something so much that you would do it for free. Okay. That's true. And there's a lot of people out there. When we did this movie about AIDS with Molly Ringwall and Martin Landau and Lee Grant, they were working for scale here in town because it was an important thing. You know, it was that women could actually get AIDS and nobody knew that. And after we finished the movie, when it, there was an 800 number you could call that Molly told you at the end, over a million women called. So this film ends up going into schools now as sure. part of sex education and things. So, you know, again, would we all have done that for free? Yes, because it was important. Yeah, well, so, that, that's no, I'm saying Jimmy has a lot of films coming up that he's producing. I'm a producer. And he's and they're all saying big budget. They're all up and coming. Well, they're in the millions. They're not hundred fifty oh, yeah, thousand dollar movies. So and I'm thinking that Jimmy should really talk to you because I yeah, think I, love that. Know, yeah, I think well, I'm, I'm also a union man all the way, you know, equity. You know, Screen Actors, AFTRA, when it was AFTRA, uh, Directors Guild and Writers Guild. So they have me. I believe that you have the quality that we need to direct in some of today's movies. And I'm not flattering you. I'm being very businesslike and honest. I'm honest. Honestly, he's not in very I'm praising you. (laughs) (laughs) We got to go, too. We're out of time. Hurry up. Some of the scripts need a good director. And I'm sure that Jimmy will call on you. I okay. have called, actually. I've already, I really I've already like pinched Tommy, you. I am so <laughs> impressed with all the answers you gave. Well, you are you. working the way it should be worked. You're professional. Your ideas are perfect. I think any film... And your you're, history is amazing. I'm talking, please. Thank you. I punch you. I hurry up. We're out of time. 
I think whatever film you're in, you'll make sure. it right. And it's a pleasure knowing you. I'm glad to have spoken. I'm with you. super glad too. So we want to thank you for coming on. Really, congratulations on a stellar career. I am going to be in touch with you. You forgot I'm about the mine. Remember that you know I used to do this for a while. <laughs> and everybody, this is Tommy McLaughlin. Follow him on Instagram and check out his shows. I thank you, you so much. I wish you would give classes to other directors. <laughs> yeah, you should. Anyway, I'm we serious. gotta go. We gotta go. We're I'm two serious. minutes over time. We're Some of these that. directors, they really suck. Anyway, thank you so much. Oh, Merry you guys. Christmas. Please have a Merry Christmas, you and your Merry girlfriend. Thank you. God bless you both. Thank you. Bye-bye, Tommy. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week. We'll see you Bye. next Bye. week for our Christmas show. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, we in the mix. Yeah, we in the mix, it's another episode Here we go, the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell Interviewing the hottest newest and truest of today's celebrities Make sure to subscribe so you can get notified weekly Jimmy Star, he's the king of cool Ron Russell, he's a gorgeous dude Chat room is live and you would be a fool Not to vibe with us at the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell So come watch it live on W4CY Radio Miss some past episodes? Download on iTunes The Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell It's the Jimmy Star Show with Ron Russell Oh,